good morning. Good morning. I uh, got a few things to share with you. Um, guys in the top, if you could grab a couple of batteries for my belt pack, that would be awesome. And you can just run them down so we can get them changed out uh, before we start. Uh, so uh, this morning, and I know we had a lot of questions about small groups, Sunday school. What is that going to look like? Well, the first phase of that is um, us moving back into a time when we can have children's and youth gatherings. So Andy shared about that, um, and I'm really excited for that and having Dave and Rachel here. And David did a great job sharing with us about his testimony. Thanks, Carson. You can take that. You want to change them out for me? Just hop them back. Thanks. Uh, and so along with that, I know there's been a lot of questions about Sunday school and small groups and when can, you know, adults meet together. Um, to be honest, this whole season's been kind of strange, right? Uh, we've been trying to figure out, you know, how can we come back? When should we come back? Do we change some things? Um, and as you know, we've been working through that together. So what I wanted to share with you is that we are going to be starting uh, backup small groups for adults. And so it'll look a little bit different. It's going to be called small groups instead of Sunday school because it'll happen at different times throughout the week. Uh, and so one of those is actually going to be happening on Sunday nights. And so what we wanted to also do, we, we actually put out a survey. So if you saw that, uh, we tried to set up some small groups that uh, worked along with what people's desire was to spend time together, to uh, grow closer together in the Lord and with each other. And so uh, what that means is that on Sunday nights when the youth group gets together, uh, every other week, if you have a student who's in that group, um, you can meet in that adult small group. And the first time that group will meet, thank you, Carson, will be next Sunday, next Sunday night. And that'll be during the exact same time as the students meet. So you come, you bring your student, and then you meet with that small group, okay? And so we're still kind of working out, you know, what are the groups going to be studying? What are they going to be doing? Uh, but I just want you to know there's going to be a group for you. And then on Wednesday nights, we're having our kids club. And so in a similar fashion, uh, we'll have a group with uh, adults, with parents who would maybe fit into that category of young families. Uh, and so maybe some of you are wondering, like, well, what if we have youth and children? Uh, that's okay. You can pick either one, and we'd be glad to work that out for you, okay? Um, so that'll meet during the uh, little bit later. So if you bring your kids, um, maybe just be a part of the kind of that first few minutes of the children's gathering. That's uh, kind of the way that we designed it. And then a right at about 15 minutes after that, 640, 45, the adults will start gathering. Um, we'll meet in here to begin with, and then what we'll do is we'll meet with everyone who wants to come and meet on a Wednesday night, but then we'll break up into um, what I call a, a life experience groups or a similar uh, categories. It's one of the things on the survey that we shared, and we said, hey, you know, what would be your preference be uh, if you came and met with a small group? And most of you said, I'd like to meet with a group that's of a similar uh, point in life, so age and life experience and family situation, okay? Uh, so that's Wednesday nights. Uh, for Sunday mornings, because I know there's there's still some that might like to meet on a Sunday morning, we're not starting that group up yet, but I, what I'd like to do is after service, I'd like to meet with anybody who's interested in meeting on Sunday morning. Maybe you can't come on a weeknight or on a Sunday night, and I get that. Uh, and so we're going to um, try and create a group that can meet during that time. And uh, but we, we need some help, too, okay? So I want to meet and just kind of figure out what that's going to look like, uh, and then we will start those up. So that's small groups. Uh, if you don't feel like you fit into um, one of those groups, then come and talk with me. Uh, just know Wednesday night's going to be that kind of that catch-all. We're still going to be doing prayer meeting as a group that meets, but and we're going to have several different small groups that we'll meet. Uh, and, again, there'll be different studies Wednesday nights, probably going to be more of uh, going off of the quiet time. So we develop a study for that. I do each week uh, and just <clears throat> kind of share with the group as a whole, and then we'll split up. And like what all the small groups will do is, is pray for all the needs of the church and then talk about a specific study. And I'm sure have some fun, some food, some fellowship, right? We're Baptists, so that's what we do, okay? And so I will try to get this working and get this on, and then uh, we'll switch over to that. Check, test, one, two, it's working. Awesome, okay. I'm just like, I like to communicate with my hands. I didn't know if you noticed that. That's why I don't like holding the hand out. Uh, thank you guys for getting that set up. What a great group that we have. Uh, I'm glad to see everybody, and uh, how wonderful it is that we have people that serve in different areas. Our worship team that just does an amazing job, and our guys in the back um, that help out, uh, Travis and the Warner Bunch, and I'm hoping to get a few more of us up there to help out with that, so thank you for taking care of that, guys. Got a last-minute adjustment. And so this morning, uh, we're in our second part of our new series in the book of Revelation. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, uh, and for those of you who are visiting us online, so glad that you're here, uh, as well as those that are here in person. 
And we're in this series entitled Church Evaluation. Now, maybe uh, some of you have experienced an evaluation at work or kind of just a measurement. Every once in a while, it's a good idea to just kind of take stock. How, what kind of job am I doing? Am I doing a good job or there's some areas I need to work in? And in the same way, Jesus gave this book, this last letter in the canon of our scripture to a guy named John who was a disciple, apostle, and also the last living disciple who was martyred on the island of Patmos, who got this special revelation from God. So it's really kind of a, it's a cool, it's an interesting book. Some people like it, some people don't because it's hard to understand. But I hope as we walk through this, we'll get a better understanding of what God's expectation for the church is. Um, Not as this like father-like figure that's just waiting for us to make a mistake and then he can, you know, he can throw a lightning bolt at us, right? That's not the God that we worship, right? Uh, We worship a God of, yes, judgment, but also mercy and grace and one who just carefully corrects us and guides us. And so this is for us as a whole. Um, It's really meant for us to kind of just take a good look in the mirror and see where we line up compared to the other churches that are in the book of Revelation. Uh, And so today, um, this is the vision for evaluation. So we looked at the preparation for evaluation. Now we're going to look at the vision for evaluation. Some of you are like, when are we going to get to the churches? I want to talk about the churches of Revelation, you know. Uh, We're going to get to that next week, and then we'll spend seven weeks on the different churches in the book of Revelation. But today is the vision for evaluation. The phrase I want you to remember is this, a vision for the future makes all the difference. And so without purpose, without a specific direction in our lives, and without a specific direction as a church, it's really hard to accomplish anything, right? And without knowing what we're really about, and it's, it's fine for us to say we're about the Bible, right? We're about God's Word, we're about what He wants us to do. But what I found is just working in ministry and church life is that there's normally a specific idea, specific vision or focus that each church needs to have so that they can move in that direction, right? And so we'll begin to see that as we walk throughout this series. Um, and to start things off, maybe a little lighthearted note, I wanted to share a video with you and then we'll jump back into the message. Okay, okay, the TVs, they're not in black and white, they're in color. People look as real as you guys, only amazing. Golly! Say, how'd you get here anyhow? It's this sick new time-traveling app. App? Like an appetizer! Is that future food? It's got an apple on it. Is that what an apple looks like in the future? It's a phone. Cool. Where's the cord? No cord, bro. It's a phone, a TV, a computer, a GPS, a camera. The future sounds amazing. Are there flying cars? Hoverboards? We don't really need to go anywhere in the future. We can experience everything through this. Can you meet the boy of your dreams? On Facebook, you can check out the boy of your dreams, see who he hangs out with or who he's dated, even what he had for lunch. Gee whiz! Sounds like stalking to me. It's normal. For example, I've got over 200 followers on Instagram. Followers? Where are they? That's the beauty of it. You guys don't have to go anywhere. If you don't go anywhere in the future, then what do you do? We just kind of watch hours and hours of TV. There's so many reality shows that you can basically experience anything in the world just by streaming. I don't know. Future sounds pretty square to me. No, man. You can Snapchat anyone in the world, watch their vines. Sounds exhilarating. So I tweeted once, and it got retweeted by Fetty Wap. What's a Fetty Wap? Google him. What kind of girl do I look like? I'm a pretty good tweeter. I mean, I could do better. Tweet, 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 tweet. No, that's, that's not it. I'm retweeted. Stop. Retweet. It's so much cooler than that. I'm sure it is. Check out how many reactions I get on my Facebook. Smiley faces, hearts. Is that a grinning poop? It's yeah. a future full of kindergartners. <laughs> We're gonna go throw the old pigskin outside with real friends and actual Tweety Birds. And poop, you can step it! Honey, did all your friends leave? Nope, they're all right here. Ah, uh, alright, okay, sweetie. So 
So we're not getting in a DeLorean, right? We're not going uh, back to the future, but we are looking at God's future, his picture of what's going to take place in the end times and his special word for the churches. So I hope you enjoy that. I came across it the other day. I was like, oh, that's perfect, right? And so as we see things like that, right, we're probably going, yeah, that probably is what grandma and grandpa thought about what's going on right now, right? And so we're experiencing it now, though. Are your friends? They're all on your phone. <laughs> How great is that? Are they in real life, though? Are they in person? Okay, and so uh, just to kick it off, I, I wanted to share a proverb, too, because I think we come back to this place of uh, going like, well, yeah, what does the future look like? We want to know. We want to know exactly what it is. And God's giving us just a glimpse. But more than that, he's trying to encourage the church to go, uh, instead of fixating on like every little detail of what's going to take place in the future, how about you examine yourself first and then go, am I ready for what's going to take place in the future? And so in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, you've probably heard the verse before, it says this, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. So what's our focus? What's our vision? Well, our vision statement is this. We want to be about loving Christ, growing the church, reaching the community. Um, you'll see that on things that we put out. And as we're kind of renovating, we plan on putting that in a few places again um, and just making sure that we're on the same page. What's our purpose? Well, we want to be about loving Christ, right? So we, we want to focus and, and fixate on him first and foremost. Uh, and then we want to grow the church. How do we want to do that? Well, we want to do that, yes, in number. We want to see um, this place be a place where people feel like they can connect to God and each other. We want to grow spiritually, too. So we don't just want to, what Andy shared and what David shared, is come to this place to be like, God, here's our Sunday. You know, I'm punching my ticket. I will see you next Sunday, right? And so instead of that, we really want this to be a place, yes, that it's a building, but it's a group of people too uh, that love Jesus and hopefully are connected throughout the week. And I hope we can kind of accomplish that more throughout the week during our small groups and then reaching the community. So why are we here? Well, God's given this express purpose really to all churches and his people, the church, to reach out and to say to people who, who don't know God, who are not connected to him, there's this amazing relationship that you can have with the God of the universe. And how do we do that? Well, we do that in a lot of different ways. And so this is just kind of the measurement for who we are. And so as we move into the book of Revelation, just to share a little bit of the background again, we know John was a disciple. He went to this island of Patmos, which was a place we talked about last week. It was more like Hunger Games than it was like the Bahamas. So if you've been to the Bahamas, you're like, that, that's nice, right? This was, this was not that. that. Um, criminals got sent there to uh, basically either die from exposure uh, or, or, yeah, lack of being able to eat something or another criminal wanted what they have. And, well, the, the Roman guards who were there just sat there and watched what went on. And so that was the place that they sent him. They couldn't kill him some of the other ways they tried. And they said, okay, John, we just want you to leave us alone. Last surviving disciple, really influential guy. So if we put him here, <laughs> surely he's not going to be able to do anything beneficial. Well, what happened? God, he gave him the book of Revelation. He gave him the revelation of the word that tells us what's going to take place and helps us take a, take a look at really us as a church. And then and think about this phrase, a vision for the future. It makes all the difference. So if we don't have vision, we don't know where we're going, what really are we going to accomplish? So let's jump into it. The first fill in the blank is the right background. So we need to know, like, why is John here? Why is he writing? Uh, what's going on in this place? And so, uh, really, verse 9 is just about knowing where we came from helps us move forward. So, where do we come from? What was John's experience? Why was he writing? Well, let's read it. He says, it says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Uh, I love this because John's putting up front, he's saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm a part of you guys, part of the church. I'm a brother, I'm, I'm writing to you guys because I want you to know something really important, something that Jesus gave to him, and he's writing from this island. So he wants everybody to know, too, this isn't like some lavish place that I am. Everybody would have known what the island of Patmos was at that time when he's writing, uh, and he says, so it's not this luxurious place where I can relax. It's a, it's a place of great hardship, and why is he there on the account of the word of God, the testimony of Jesus, but he's writing why to encourage us, right? To help us understand that, yes, things are not going to be easy, but here's this really important message uh, that you need to hear. And sometimes we just need to hear that, hey, somebody calls you up, hey, they're your brother, your sister in the Lord, and you need some encouragement. That's happened for me this week. Some, somebody called me and, and just said, hey, how are you doing? And sometimes we just need to do that for each other, right? 
How did your, how'd your day go? And be prepared for the, re- the real answer, right? So ask and then go, yeah, no, I really, I, did, I had like a minute, you know, so I just wanted to ask, but I didn't really want to know. So, so ask, and like we've talked about, I mean, the last several weeks in our last series, so ask and then be okay with hearing what's really going on, okay? And that's how we minister to one another, right? So Johnny writes to the church, the church, he says, I want to encourage you, um, and I'm, I'm doing all this because of the testimony of Jesus. So he's been with, with Jesus in his ministry, and now full circle, he's at the end of his life, and God gives him the book of Revelation. So I like what uh, Matthew Henry's commentary said. He said, he was their brother, though an apostle. He seems to value himself upon his relation to the church rather than his authority in it. You can imagine like John, this giant, like he could have started off like, hey guys, John here, disciple, apostle, pretty much the most important guy who's still around in regards to the church. That's not what he said, right? Sometimes we like to put our accolades out there, right? We like people to know how important we are. And the truth is that John in that situation, he's not going, look how awesome I am. He says, your brother, right? Brother in the faith. And then in verse 10, we look at this idea of really listening to the right voice. So in, in this background, we want to make sure that we're, we're understanding who's speaking here, what's going on, so that we can move forward. It says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, right? Praise God. Like We come here and we're like, and we're encouraged. We feel better. Right? He's, he's on the Lord's day in the Spirit. And he says, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And where have we heard that before? Loud voice like a trumpet. Well, you're going to see throughout the book of Revelation that when this instance of Jesus returning, he, like, he pops out of the clouds, right? He bro- breaks open the fabric of space and time, and there's this trumpet, right? Where have we heard trumpets before? Where have we seen them before? Maybe you've uh, watched movies about war. What typically happens before everybody charges the line, right? There's a trumpet blast. There's something to let people know to signal everybody, hey, something's about to happen, right? Something's about to go down and in the same way. John goes, I heard something like this trumpet blast. I mean, it was like you know, something I'd never experienced before, and I heard it. And, and I feel like when we read this, we go, yeah, okay, John, that was great. Like, yeah, I mean, you were right there, and, and God was opening up things for you to see. I just, man, I don't really feel like I feel, you know, I hear God like that on a regular basis. And, and John is going, hey, I want to encourage you, and I heard God, man, it was like this trumpet blast that sounded. And sometimes we just go, really don't feel like I can hear God, right? Maybe our focus is not on the right voices, right? Because I can tell you, even in the, the still, the small, the quiet times with the Lord, He speaks as loudly to me as a trumpet blast. But why is that? Because maybe the rest of the distraction is not there. And I don't know when you're like, you do your quiet time. Look, I have the books back there still. So if you didn't get one, get one. Because we all do that together. It's like a community quiet time through Word of Life. And um, one of the things we need to do is find that space where like, you know, maybe it's like I got my comfy chair. I'm not going to fall asleep, but I got my comfy chair and I got my coffee, whatever it is, place where you can sit and be with the Lord. And and you might be surprised that when the rest of the distraction of the world is removed, uh, we, can, we can hear God more clearly, can't we? You know, instead of like, oh man, throw my stuff in the car, I gotta go, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to God on the way. And you can do that, but when does God speak to us? He speaks to us in a lot of ways, but John says, hey, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And then in verse 11, we need to see the direction that helps us move forward too. So he says this in verse 11, uh, saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And then he lists them uh, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And so this is important to note here. So Jesus jumps in. John's like he's explaining what's happening, why he's writing. Here's where I was. Here's what's going on. Uh, and then Jesus, he steps in here and he goes, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And he lists them. So he's the, one, the ones that Jesus is about to talk about. And so as John's telling us where he's going, Jesus is about to take the helm, but we're just kind of preparing for that, all right? So we talked about that preparation and now this vision for where we're going. And Jesus kind of gives us these marching order. He says, hey, write down what you see. Write down what I'm about to show you. And then in verse 12, we see that looking the right direction really helps us too, okay? And, and if, um, if you didn't notice, that these little notes about each verse, like if you write those down, um, and maybe you look at this later, you study it later, it's just observations that I make to kind of tie into the entirety of the main point. So um, verse 12, we see looking the right direction helps us 
move forward. And then John, what does he do? Well, he hears this trumpet blast, and then Jesus is talking, and he's like, what, what is going on? And so he wants to look this direction. And then in verse 12, it says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. So John's looking around. He's got the trumpet. He's got Jesus talking. And he turns around. He sees seven golden lampstands, right? You're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. It sounds like I was reading like two different books and they got mixed up, right? No, he turns and he sees seven golden lampstands. It's like, you know, walking into maybe your grandparents' house and there's the you know, nice ornate golden lampstands, right? But this is supposed to represent something else. And we'll get into what that is. But this voice, he says, then I turned to see the voice. And the voice is important here because who was speaking? Well, it was Jesus speaking. And the same word in the Greek, the words phone in the Greek, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, we say the, see the exact same use of the Greek word here. It says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So that same voice, God, the Father was speaking to Jesus at his baptism there in Matthew chapter 3, and he raises him up out of the water, and, and God said, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. So that was literally God speaking, and everybody at that time was going like, where is that coming from? Where is that coming from? But John, he's like, uh, I mean, like, he's opened up everything for me. I'm like, fabric of space and time, I'm here, I'm hearing the trumpet blast, everything that's going on, and now I'm trying to look this direction, because John is a human being, right? You could ever imagine this is trying to perceive like the future and then what Jesus is telling him in that setting, okay? So super, super interesting, but let's keep going. So this second fill in the blank is the right king. So we, we have the right background. We need to know where John was, what was going on, why was he writing. That's really important. It's called context. And so um, as we get the background, it helps us understand better what's going on in the text. And so the second fill in the blank, the right king, uh, <clears throat> Jesus is going to give John this picture uh, of who he is. And, and John, he's, he's walked with Jesus, right? He's like, he already knows who he is. He's like, you know, uh, but in this moment, he's not sitting around a table with Jesus who came down to earth, right? He's, he's interacting with Jesus who is in eternity past. He's interacting with a Jesus who's who's showing him a glimpse of his eternal state, his glorification, uh, which is just like mind-boggling. Like we try to understand it, we're like, lampstands, what does it even mean? Like he's got this trumpet going, and he's talking about churches. And John, he's still, he's like, he's, I'm just writing down what I saw, right? I'm writing down what I saw and I heard, and I want you to hear it. And then this perspective turns to the right king in verse 13. Because knowing who wears this sash that we're going to talk about, it keeps us humble, right? So instead of putting the Miss America sash on ourselves, right? We're going to see who it belongs to. It's an even greater one than that one. Um, It's God's sash. And so in verse 13, it says, And in the midst of the lamp stands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with golden sash around his chest. Golden sash. Who, Who gets to wear that? Well, God, right? So, so Jesus is saying these things. He's walking out, and he's got this long robe. It reminds me of, um, you know, like choir robes, right? Maybe remember those. Maybe some of us, maybe you've been in church for a while, you're like, yeah, I'm, yeah I remember those. <laughs> I'm glad we don't use those anymore, right? Uh, so but I, I grew up, and so at, at, a, at a big church, and we just had like a, a big choir, and everybody was wearing robes, like most of the time. Eventually, we transitioned away from that. <laughs> and, uh, and so we've done the same thing here, too. But uh, you, you kind of imagine that, right? Or maybe somebody's getting baptized, and like they have the long white robe on, right? Well, the reason that churches did this in the past, well, I'm not saying we should bring that back, by the way, okay? Um, the reason that churches did that in the past was to capture some of this like um, ornate beauty and um, royalty and this regal nature of who God is and all the different things you see throughout the scriptures. So it's, it's not just like, you know, because I know the kids are going like, why are they doing that? Like, that's, that looks silly, right? I know I thought that when I was growing up, but, but when you think about God in the entirety of his word, he gives us these pictures of like, I mean, like a royal dude, right? Because God is, right? He's not, he's not just like walking in, you know, we like to think about Jesus, Jesus kind of more like hippie, right? He's got long hair, blonde, blonde long hair, right? <laughs> it's not how he looked, you know, in real life when he came to the earth, by the way, uh, in the Middle East. Um, he looked a little different, and so, you know, he didn't have blue eyes, right? Probably had like brown eyes. And so this Jesus that John is seeing, he's like, he's a very different looking, glorified God, right? 
Not that he wasn't magnificent when he was there, but he took on the full nature of humanity too. And so John's here and he's like, I remember you, Jesus, before, and this is, <laughs> this is not quite how things looked, right? And so he's, he's got this golden sash and he's there like the Son of Man. He is the Son of Man, Jesus, and he's standing amongst the lampstands. Don't worry, we're going to get there. You're like, I don't know what's going on. Okay, we'll get there. Uh, and then in verse 14, we see that uh, this right expression keeps us humble, right? So when we see God for who He is, like throughout the Scripture, um, that He is royal, that He is, uh, is all-powerful, right? He's all things, right? I was having a conversation with um, somebody this week about, like, where God is. Like, is He just in church, right? Because some people think that. Like, if I have to go to church, then, you know, I'm not sure that's a God I need to worship, right? If He's in a place, like, made by people... And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I thought about that. Like, Paul said something similar. Um, we don't worship a God made by human hands, right? We may worship in a place made by man's hands many years ago, but yet we serve a God and we worship a God who's everywhere, right? So when we have those conversations with people. They're like, I don't know if I can go to church because, like, if God's there, I know there's some stuff I've done, and I'm just not sure. Like, if I walked in the door, like, he would blow me up because I'm so bad. And I just go, Man, I mean, everybody deserves to, does, does not deserve to have salvation and grace, but yet God gives it to us. And he's not just relegated to this place. So John's going, this is who God is. He's trying to give us a picture so that we might be humble, right? Like he was at the beginning when he said, hey, guys, I'm your brother, right? I'm not this amazing person. I'm just somebody that God let be used for his purposes. And so in verse 14, it says this, the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. We all love snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, right? We read this, and some of the older people are going, amen, yeah. <laughs> what does it say about God? The hairs of his head were white. Kids, remember that, right? What does Scripture tells us? The, uh, this gray hair, white hair is the crown of wisdom to a life of somebody who is aged, right? Yeah, no, Bruce. Thanks, man. I got a little bit coming in. I got a little bit coming in, so we're not, I'm not quite there yet, but we're working on it. And so uh, what does Jesus look like? Well, he, as he's described, he's this, he's this regal guy, he's this royal guy, he's got this golden sash, he's got a long robe, and now John talks about him, he says, man, he, when I looked right at him, the hairs of his head were white, right, like wool, like snow. And then he moves on, he goes, his eyes were like a flame of fire, right? So he's like royal, he's regal, he's like, man, he's... He's like super wise. You can like a picture of the wisest person you can think of. Like he's got, he's got all his hair though. It's like, it's white, but it's all there, right? And so he's, uh, he's got wisdom. He's full of it. And then he says his eyes were like a flame of fire, right? So we kind of like the description until he's like, yes, he's got a robe. He's got a golden sash like that. I mean, that's a guy I can get behind. Like he's a solid dude. We talked about David in the quiet time this morning. If you read that, he was taken over the kingdom. And, and you better believe, I mean, there was like all the stops were getting pulled out, right? So Saul had died, and David, who had already been anointed king, he took over the kingship. And you better believe they were putting the golden sash on him. They were putting like the robe. Uh, they were putting the crown. They were going, this is the new king, right? So there would, there's no confusion, right? So when John's in the presence of Jesus and he's giving him these words, he's showing him who he really is in his glorified state. He's not letting him die, by the way, too, right? So, so that's another thing to note. He, he's one of the only people that God goes, hey, I want to show you something, something really special, my glorified state, my nature. And then it says his eyes were like flames of fire, and we're like, whoa, 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 all right. It was cool until he started having fire come out of his eyes, right? Well, what is this attributed to? Will you be right in regards to fire and judgment? But we have to understand, again, what's this whole picture of this true king, this real king? So we got the right background. We got the right king. And I like this word in the Greek. The word for fire is flocks, and it's used seven times in the New Testament. And it's just this word for this blazing fire, right? I don't know if you've ever been, uh, like, getting the oven preheated, right? You're going to, like, put something in, and you get a little bit too close, right? And you're like, oh! Oh man, you're like, you feel like you got singed a little bit. Well, uh, this is a fire that's a little bit more intense than that, right? I mean, like John's looking at Jesus and his eyes, like a fire in them. He's going like, whoa, man, I have never seen anything like this. God in his glorified state. And as I was reading this, I thought about something that Alana um, had said to me recently. Well, she came up with it. She, she has these words that she like makes up for stuff. And we don't know what they are at first. And then she tells us, oh, this is, no. it's like her translation, right? 
So uh, during the summer, um, of course, it gets warm, right? We're moving out of that, praise the Lord. And uh, we're going to get in the car so the air's not on. We're trying to get, you know, kids buckled in, right? You guys remember little kids. It's like you're just trying to get them buckled into the car, and they're just like squirming and like, just get buckled in so we can go, okay? And so you're buckling them in, and Alana looks at me, you know, as we're trying to get her in the car seat. She's like, Dad, it's blasting hot. It's like, What? What are you talking about? It's blasting hot. I look at Christy, I'm like, has she she ever said that to you? I think the first time she said it, we were were just going like, what are you saying? Like, what what are you talking about? It's just really hot. I was like, oh, okay. That's what you mean. It's blasting hot. So um, as you think about God and his glory and uh, the flaming fire that he has in his eyes, which represent his judgment, like I I just remember what what Alana said that one day. And she said it many times, he's got this blasting fire, right? This heat that, that you could like never quench, right? You could never put it out and it's always there and it's a part of his nature, right? So as we look at the right king, sometimes we go, well, I might like a king that maybe he doesn't have fire coming out of his eyes. Like, you know, because I like all the royal stuff, the regal stuff. Like that's a guy I can get behind. Like I can tell people about him and be like, I follow Jesus. Like he's, he's a really solid guy. He's really nice. Like you meet him, um, you're just going to love him. And then we get to this part about the fire in his eyes and we're like, ah, you know what? That part's not important. Let's just, let's just erase that, right? But that's not who God is in his entirety, right? He has these flaming eyes of fire, right? Maybe not the thing you tell the kids before they go to bed, right? But this is a part of his nature. And as, as young people grow, I love that we had a bunch of the kids up here this morning. Um, just awesome to see that our church is uh, such a mixed family of age, right? Um, not one age group or another. We've got a great mix. And so as we talk to our kids about that, it's important to help them understand who God is, uh, but that he does have this blazing fire. And Luke uh, chapter sixteen twenty four uses the same word here. It says, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And so this is an account about God's judgment. And uh, that you got Abraham here, so he's, he's there with God. And there's this poor guy who uh, he never really had very much, but like he was faithful to God. And uh, then you have this, like, this other guy who's super well off, just rich. He never really gave anything to God, just sort of lip service, probably more of that, like, you know, maybe come on Sundays even, but just didn't really care about God. And so there's this interaction that takes place, and they both die, and one goes to heaven, and one goes to hell. And the guy, the poor guy in heaven is going, like, he's, he's reaching out to him, and Father Abraham, who he's with up there, he goes, just, just dip you know, my, my finger in the water, right? I want to experience some just tiny relief. And so the same word for this use of fire uh, is here, this flame, right? So God's judgment's serious, right? It's not something to be toyed around with or to be played with or to, or to look at God in all of his glory. Like John's not looking at Jesus laughing, right? He's not going, wow, Jesus is so funny. You know, look at, no, he's like, this is a serious dude, right? He's a serious dude. He's royal. He's regal. He's got the robes. He's got everything else. We know why John was there. We got the background, but we have to understand the king for who he is, right? Uh, that he's perfect, that he's awesome, and that his will, his sovereignty in this judgment is perfect. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand, right? Sometimes we just don't understand when like, things get difficult, and we think like, God, why are, you, you know, why are you pouring out your wrath and your fire on me? And maybe it's not his wrath. Maybe it's more his grace, but we just get the two confused, right? So when John sees this fire, it's pointing more towards this like um, judgment of God in eternity, not necessarily the difficulty that we go through in life, right? Um, so instead of seeing like a Zeus-like character who's like throwing lightning bolts or like Jesus in his fire and he's like singeing us, like when he just gets bored, like a kid with a magnifying glass and an ant, that's, that's not who God is, right? This God is perfect in all of his, his wisdom, his knowledge, his judgment, and this is a part of it. Like in Hebrews 1, 7, uh, it says this about his fire. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers flames of fire, right? So watch out, right? His ministers <laughs> flames of fire, too. I read that, and I was like, all right, yeah, that sounds cool. Uh, but, but yet we're all a part of this royal priesthood, right? We're a part of the family of God, his ministers. He, he pours into us as well, this fire, right? To, to go and to do things, sometimes we're just not even like, we're not even sure. Like we need like the passion, the fire that he has. This is also a part of his judgment which pushes us towards doing things that maybe we wouldn't normally do, right? To maybe being excited about things we wouldn't normally do and maybe motivate us a little bit too, right? Sometimes we, we need that. 
And then in Revelation 2.18, we'll read this soon. It says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Um, and for that church in particular, sometimes, like for them, we just need a reminder you know, of who God is in his holiness. Like maybe we just, we, like what David said, you, we kind of take a sidestep and we just go like, yeah, I'm saved, but, you know, I mean, I'm going to do what I want part of the time, God, and I hope that you're cool with that. And we, we look at these pictures of who Jesus is, and, and we're going like, maybe we shouldn't mess with that guy. Maybe like what the scripture says throughout, especially in the Old Testament, where's the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord, right? And this isn't like a cowering, like going like, oh God, don't hurt me. Like, I'm so sorry about what I did. No, because God gives us grace. So we fear the Lord because of who he is, his sovereignty, his governance over everything, right? His glory. So when John saw him, he's not playing around. Like he's, he's trying to reveal this clear picture of who he is. And then in verse 15, uh, we see that hearing this voice, it, it keeps us humble, right? So we have a variety of things that keep us humble, right? Seeing John's example, um, then through looking at who this king is, we, when we see a clear picture, we're like, oh, wow. Serious dude. I mean, awesome dude. He loves us. He died for us. He's got this flame of fire in his eyes too. So, um, and then we, we see that hearing is important too to help keep us humble, help keep us in a place that we need to stay. In verse 15, it says, His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. Uh, and so I, I don't know, you know how and where you go to... Um, maybe experience closeness with the Lord. or A lot of people like to go to the beach and you hear that like the roaring water and that's just like your happy place. Like when you get to go on vacation, like, let's go to the beach. That's where I want to be. Um, and there's been times that you know, we, we go to places like that and I, you, you have to sit there for a moment and go, like, wow, this is just awesome. I mean, like the roar of water, the continual tide that comes in and out. And, and John here is telling us, he's trying to describe it in, in any human lens. Like, it's, it's always going to fall short, right? When we're with God in heaven, like, there's going to be this, we're going to understand it perfectly, right? We're going to see him perfectly. But through human eyes, John's going, I'm trying to help us understand. So he wants us to see the right king, right? Not the wrong kings, right? Not the ones that we make, um, whether it be uh, a spouse or a child or a car or whatever else. He says, here's the right king. Here's the true king. He's not going to let you down. And in verse 15, he says, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. So I challenge you next time. Maybe go to the beach, sit there where no one else is talking to you, and close your eyes and go, like what John said, this roar of many waters. And what John's trying to do and is just this, this finite understanding of who God is. He's going, hey, here's some things that you can relate to, right? We got fire, and we got this robe, we got this golden sash, and then we've got this roaring water. Like when I listen to him, it's like, man, it's just, it's amazing, right? It's overpowering, right? Uh, And then in verse 16, understanding his power keeps us humble too, right? So we got kind of hearing him, we we understand who he is, um, what he what he kind of looks like from our perspective. And in verse 16, it says, and in his right hand, he held seven stars from his mouth, came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining at full strength. And so we're going to get to what these are, but these seven stars we're going to see are going to be the, the pastors of the, of the churches that uh, John is talking about in the book of Revelation. So he's, he's like holding them in his hand. He's going like, hey, look, you know, I got the whole world in my hands, but I got these pastors in my hands too. And, and like, he's, like, we, like we read in Hebrews, this ministers is flame of fire. So he's using them directly to influence, to help the church, to lead the church. But then he's also empowering the people to understand who he is, right? He's not just revealing this to John. He's going, just tell a few people about it, right? No, he says, put it, he goes, write it down and tell the people about it. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Oh, 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 again, yeah, we get these pictures of Jesus and we like baby Jesus, we like hippie Jesus. Sorry if you grew up in that time period. Uh, so no offense, just like we like long-haired, cool Jesus, chilling out. He's fine with everything. He's not, never gets mad, right? And in God, he's the only one who can have like a righteous indignation, right? And so we have to see some of these things, including the sword that he's holding onto, which, by the way, when he, when he breaks open the sky, he's going to have in his hand, right? He's going to be riding on this horse, right? He's going to have like these, these words on him, king of kings, lord of lords, and he's got this double-edged sword because he's not playing around at that point, right? He's gone, hey, here, here's all this time that I've given you and the people to trust in me, right? And so we can't just like throw this stuff out too. We don't like the flames of fire. We don't like the sword. Let's take a look at that. And his face was like the sun shining at full strength. I like what this um, 
church father had to say about a historian, Ecumenius. He said, now the sword comes forth from the mouth, the image showing that those who are disobedient to the evangelical commands will have a threat to their souls to be cut into two by the sword. Oh, wow, that's harsh. But, but what is it there for, right? God's perfect judgment in this picture of who he is. Yes, he's good and he's just and he's loving and he's graceful. But we have to have this full picture of who God is, right? And, 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 so, and so that we might live our lives in a way, not going like, I'll do Sunday, but then I'm going to do whatever else I want, right? We worship this God that's holy, that's in his glorified state. John's going, he's not a God to be trifled with, right? He's a God that we should worship holy. And this is important because as he's setting up this letter to send to the churches, he, God knows he, they're, they're going to read this too, and they're going to go like, oh, we should listen to what he's about to say about each of us, right? Uh, we, we should take this seriously because he saw Jesus. He, did, he didn't just like, hey, here's some words. They'd be important, you know, tell them about him if you want to. No, first, understand who the king is, right? So we have the right king. And this last fill in the blank, the right truth. Now, that's a difficult one because our culture says that there can be lots of different kinds of truth, right? In fact, if you were to think about that, you'd probably go, yeah, I mean, I've heard some things this week, and, and somebody said, well, that's true, but then, you know, if you want to believe something different, that could be true too. Have we ever heard that? We have. And so, as we think about this, we, we need to understand that there's a right truth, right? Um, as uh, C.S. Lewis talks about it, he, he talks about the objective truth of God is like this uh, mathematical equation. He's, he's like, hey, here's how God works. Here's how his truth works. Two plus two equals four. And God's truth doesn't change, right? So it doesn't change over time. It doesn't like, here, let, let's move this around. No, it's always the same. And he gives it to us in his word. And so uh, I love that. Because C.S. Lewis, he was a really down-to-earth guy. And if you ever read any of his works, I'm reading through uh, several of them now, uh, he, he talks about his state and his picture of God just being a simple one. Like, hey, here's who God is. And in his truth, uh, we need to understand some things, right? It's different than what the rest of the world would say is truth and right. Uh, and so we have the background. We now see this, this true king, which really helps prepare us. It gives us this vision for where we're going in the future. It helps kind of motivate us. Um, and so now we have this right truth. So in verse 17, uh, we see that seeing the truth helps us grow, right? So people don't like the truth right now, right? Nobody likes to be told the truth, especially if it's like, maybe it's something we don't want to hear. Uh, maybe it's something that's not going to make us feel great. And so we prefer to be told a lie a lot of the time, Right? so that we can maybe feel better about ourselves, right? And go, no, no, tell me what I want to hear, right? And, and what do the scriptures tell us too? That at the end times and times that we're getting close to, uh, what are people going to want to hear? They're going to want to have their ears tickled. They're going to want to be told things that they're like, man, thank you. Now that made me feel so good. But at the end of the day, unless we have the truth, and that doesn't do us any good, right? So it says in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And you can imagine the situation. I mean, John's in, like, he, like any other you know, interaction that takes place, even between like angels, people are just falling in their face saying, Please don't kill me, right? Um, so any of these interactions that take place, there's like this bright figure, and whether it's Jesus or an angel or some, like somebody else that's showing up on the scene to share a message, or it's God himself, people are normally falling on their faces. So this is a right response, right? And we don't do this enough. Like maybe, maybe we don't have the right perspective or maybe things in our life, they, they don't change because maybe we have a hard time with this, this king, right? And so we have the background and we have this king and we're like, I don't know, really I like parts about him. And then we get to the truth that makes it even more difficult, right? Because then it starts to rub on us and we go, if that's the truth, man, then I, maybe I need to change this thing about my life. Maybe I need to move this over here and it hurts, right? And so what is John's response? He goes, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead, right? Can you imagine like standing in the presence of God and, and John still has got like part of this human state to him. He hasn't died yet, right? But he's like, I, I feel like I'm dead, just like being here because God's so awesome in his uh, glorified state. So it's just, he, he fell as though dead, but he laid his right. What did God, what did Jesus do? Like when John's in his presence, he goes, Jesus doesn't go, yeah, you better be right. You better be bowing down to me. No, he says he put his right hand on him. And what did he tell him? He says, fear not, I'm the first and the last, right? 
So in all these interactions that take place between God sending messengers or God himself, he's, he's usually not the guy until we get to the judgment where, where he's going like, yeah, you guys should be, feel bad, feel wrong. Like, man, I don't even know why I talk to you people, right? No, but he, he provides direct access to himself and he, and he interacted with John. And in that instance, he's, he's not going good. I'm glad you're on the ground. Now stay there, right? Doesn't beat us up, right? He goes, puts his hand on John. And sometimes we need that too, right? Um, we have difficult seasons, difficult times, and we're, we're crying out to the Lord. And I really do think that he gives us a similar picture of who he is in his nature, in the truth of who he is. When we cry out to him, what does he do, right? I mean, we truly, we go, and there's, there's nothing else left that I got. There's nothing else that I can manifest in my life that will make myself feel better. What does he do? He puts his hand on us like he did with John. Some of these things, like we feel distant from, right? We go, John, like he was a special dude, which he was, and he was with Jesus. But God gives us that same access to him, that if we would just humble ourselves, right? If we would just go, and life's not about me, and, and because it's not, I can be humbled and there's everything else that can be done through me because of this. Not because I'm awesome. John said, he said, I'm just a brother with, with the church. Um, but, but what does Jesus say? He says, fear not, I'm the first and the last. And I mean, that's hard to do, right? I mean, when, when seasons are tough, we go, yeah, I got the background. I know what John was saying. I, man, I believe that. And I know who Jesus is. Like, he's a serious guy. He's a graceful guy. He's a loving guy. God, when we hear the truth, that's hard to apply, isn't it? Right? We hear this, this truth of, and when... when Things are so difficult. When we actually see Jesus for who he is and we believe that, he's not this, this mean God that's beating us up when we're down, right? He's the one who's picking us up. What, that's what Satan does, right? When things are going badly and we're just like, man, I'm just worthless and I'm terrible. I don't even know how I can do this anymore. What does Jesus do? Like he did with John, he puts his hand on us, right? And he says, he says, fear not, right? I'm the first and the last. So he provides us that reassurance And then in verse 18, knowing who holds the keys helps us grow. And it says, and the living one, what does he say? He says, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And um, and what what great reassurance he gives us in his truth. If we would just adhere to the right truth, right? Not the wrong truth, all the other truth that's out there. How encouraged could could we be on a regular basis? And so he says, and the living one, because he is living, he died. That's what Jesus did. And behold, I am alive forevermore. He's not going to die again. He did that one time for all of time, for everyone, for everyone's sins. And I have the keys of death and Hades, right? So we're no longer bound by our sin, right? Destined for hell to be separated from God. Jesus is like, yeah, I got the keys. He's waving around on his finger. He's going, hmm, all done, all taken care of. You put your faith and trust in me. You can have eternal life. No one's going to keep you from me, right? So he says he's got the keys, which helps us grow, right? So we don't walk in condemnation is what Romans tells us. Uh, We walk by faith in the Spirit. And so no matter what difficulties we experience, no matter how many times we mess up, right? Because we beat ourselves up about that. We go, thank you, Jesus. In the same way, you you put your hand on me. Hey, fear not. I've got the keys, man. I've got the keys so you don't have to worry about it. And in verse 19, we, we look back because that helps us see the future a little bit better. Verse 19, it says, Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that, are, those that are, those that are to take place after this. So he's like, better get ready, right? Um, I'm about to uh, you write down the stuff that you already knew about, John, right? This when I was with you, Jesus in the flesh, because that was really good. But, but get ready for the stuff that's going to come. Let me tell you a little bit about it. And so Jesus does that. He's just like, he's getting everybody ready, like, you know, because everybody's hungry right now. We're thinking about the food we're going to eat. So in the same way, Jesus is telling John, he's going, I know, you're, I know everybody's looking forward to it. I know you're ready. Let me give it to you, okay? And he, he does. I like this quote that uh, Winston Churchill, although I think a few other people said it. Uh, he said, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So Jesus doesn't want John to forget about the past, right? Remember what I did for you, came, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven. Now I'm in heaven. I'm in that eternal state. And John's talking to him. And he goes full circle. Remember what happened in the past. Write it down now. Write down what's about to take place. And just, you know, he's getting ready to blow everybody's minds. And in verse 19, we're almost done, it says this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, and seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and seven lampstands are the seven churches. So not super complicated, right? Like we look at these texts and we go, I've got no idea. I'm like, that kind of reminds me of grandma's house, like all the little golden lampstands. What does that mean? Well, he tells us, right? He says seven stars, okay, which, and if you look at various commentaries, a lot of them agree on this, that these stars represent the pastors and the churches, the angels, he says, of the seven churches, and seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, 
This is important not to forget this, okay? Because as we walk through and we look at the book of Revelation and all the churches, um, Jesus is going to talk about these, all right? And if we were like lampstand, oh, he's not going to, he's going to knock your lampstand over. He's not going to, you know, light it up. He's not going to let it uh, be doing anything influential. Um, and that's going to be important, okay? So we look at that. We need to know what he's talking about, okay? And so we have the right truth, who these people are, what they're doing, what represents them. And so as we think about this, as we close out, because we're about to walk into our communion time, so it's good to kind of take a good look at Jesus, who he is, his holiness, not to just take this ordinance that we practice as um, something that's not important, right? Something that's just like, oh yeah, I can just do it casually. There was a thought that I had in closing, and as we we think about this, who Jesus is, I want to share it with you and then just make an appeal. Um, There was a church, neighborhood church, that started about 201 years ago. It was a special church, a church that when it was started, may not know this was actually called Second Baptist Church, a little history for you. And then uh, the First Baptist Church stopped meeting. We became First Baptist Church for 201 years. Church burned down. People said, I think we're still supposed to meet there in that spot. And they rebuilt the church, and that's the church that you're sitting in, right? So as we think about, as Jesus is about to give this word to John for the churches, it's good to look back, remember who we were, great legacy of faith, people, new people, all kinds of people that get grafted in and we can do this together. But then we have to remember what God's purposes are and be willing to take a really long, hard look in the mirror as we look at these churches and go, man, Jesus, if there's anything, right? It's not right. It's not good. Like what David says. I love that we're going to the life of David in the quiet times in Second Samuel. Um, what does he say if there's anything that doesn't honor you? Take it away, Right? Um, and it hurts sometimes, right? The truth does. But this is where God wants us to be. We've got the background. We've got a right picture of the king. And we've got the right truth. It's important to know what the real truth, what the right truth is. And so maybe you're here today and you're just like, listen to some of this stuff. And you're like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Book of Revelation. Uh, well, there's this amazing God that you can have a relationship with. And whether or not you're here in person or um, online, I'd love to talk to you about that. We believe just a simple profession of faith that you can make can change your life. Admitting that you're a sinner. Everybody is here in the room. Uh, believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was raised uh, from that grave um, to conquer sin and death. And like Jesus himself said, hey, I got the keys. We don't have to be bound to a life separated, eternal life separated from God. And then confess with your mouth. So make a public profession of faith. Um, Come talk with me afterwards. Reach out to us online uh, if that's you, okay? Uh, Let me pray for us, and then we're going to enter into our uh, communion time. Father, uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, that you love us, um, God, that you, uh, you tell us the truth. It, sometimes the truth is difficult to hear. Um, God, you gave John this special um, revelation that we're so thankful for. Um, God, you told him to write down the things that were in the past, not to forget those as important, um, and then to write down things that were going to take place in the future. And everything that's going on right now, too, God, we, um, we need your help. Uh, we want to we see you rightly. Um, we can't avoid what you look like when we, when we read the words that John wrote down about you um, as he saw you. Uh, we pray that uh, this would help us live rightly, um, that it would change our lives, um, that we would live for more than just Sunday mornings, uh, but we would live for the whole week for you. Um, in your truth, I pray that um, even though it hurts sometimes, even though when we feel its sting on our lives, uh, that the areas that... Um, we need to work on. We pray that you would um, do that uh, as you always do as a, a skillful physician to carefully and cut away the things that don't belong. Um, help us as we walk through this series um, to see those things clearly, um, that we might be changed and molded into what you want us to be as a church, as a family of faith, and uh, individually belonging to you. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.